So Keith, we have the privilege of speaking with a lot of really amazing and interesting people that will be speaking at Collision this year. And today's guest is especially interesting. You know, a lot of the season we're talking about the future of marketing technology, Web 3.0, and how that will sort of change the way that we live. But we're not necessarily thinking about that through the lens of cyber warfare and how it is affecting war in general. And we're actually seeing that play out in real time with what's happening between Russia and Ukraine right now. Yeah, that's right, Tom. Today's guest is a, a Russian chess grandmaster. He's a former world chess champion. He's an accomplished writer, a political activist, and he's also the chairman of the Human Rights Organization. And not only that, back in 2015, he wrote a book predicting Putin's invasion of Ukraine, a book that was heavily criticized at the time. I think this is going to be a great episode, Tom. Let's jump straight in. Gary, thank you very much for taking the time today. It's great to see you. I was delighted to see you announced as a speaker for Collision. Myself and Tom have been interviewing a handful of Collision speakers in the lead up to the event. And I don't think there's a more important topic than the one we're going to speak about today. Obviously, we know that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is still going on. We know that war is primarily fought on the ground, but it's also fought online. We really wanted to talk about the digital aspects of war today uh, and leverage your expertise. So with that in mind, Gary, would you be able to talk to us about how emerging technologies are transforming the information warfare we're seeing nowadays? Oh, thank you very much for having me and uh, raising this very important topic, because I think the uh, this ongoing war now, it's a first uh, full-scale cyber war as well. That is not very much in the news because it's not uh, uh, something you can visualize. But we know it's, it's a logical continuation of the war on the free world Vladimir Putin launched a uh, long time ago. Uh, you can't imagine any campaign today, any political campaign, any ideological campaign not being accompanied by social media, by new technology. And of course, when we say new technology and social media, we mean disinformation, misinformation, and all sorts of malign components of political campaigns. But Vladimir Putin, and we have to give him credit, um, somehow pioneered new methods, whether it's him or his regime. So I just say for the, just to make, to make it shorter. But I remember that nearly two decades ago, it's 2004, 2005, uh, Putin's regime came up with a revolutionary technology of not simply blocking opposition activities online. It's not Chinese con concept of firewall, but doing something the opposite. Why not to offer you abundance of information? Oh, okay. This is, you can read this. You can read that. Basically, instead of trying to sell you one truth only, as newspaper Pravda did it, or nine o'clock news in the Soviet Union, and by the way, nine o'clock news now in Russia, but they tried to offer you many versions of truth. Nobody knows the truth. Uh, maybe we're not so good. Nobody's good. Yeah, have we falsified elections? Yes, but everybody did so. And uh, I always called Putin merchant of doubt. Mm. And that's exactly, I think, is the, uh, the idea of, of the information warfare in modern times. It's not about convincing you to buy an ideology. It's not telling you this is the only truth that you, you must buy or, you know, we're enemies. No, it's annihilating the truth. It's creating an illusion that eh, it's we all are equally bad or equally good. It doesn't matter. And uh, I have to say that the free world was not ready for this challenge. 
while Putin had many iterations of polishing this, this mechanism, this tool. It started in, the, in Russia by addressing millions and millions of newcomers to Russian internet uh, with uh, websites that looked legit from liberal point of view. Oh, they had tons of news. But instead of having one page that you know, tells you the, their story, they found a way to split it. It's like mm-hmm. Voldemort's lives, you know, that's, you can, you can, you can actually have them, you know, just split here and there. So the first newcomers to, 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 uh, to the social media, they saw this website, this website, this website, and they, they got addicted because you don't push too many buttons. You know, you have one of your favorite you know, programs and whether on TV or internet. And somehow they created a massive following. And then they use the same technique for near abroad, this Russian speaking universe, e- Europe and eventually the United States. But when Putin successfully attacked American elections, he already had nearly a decade of successful experience of practicing various forms of social media brainwashing, troll factories, fake news, I would call them fake news farms. And I have to admit that some of their techniques were absolutely phenomenal. They mm-hmm. could construct a whole conversation you know, just by the trolls. And it's not simply, oh, you bad guys. No, no, no. Somebody could say, oh, Gary Kasparov, great chess player. Yeah, I always was his fan, but I think he's doing something wrong now. Somebody else comes in saying, yeah, but he's a traitor. No, somebody, the third one is, is defending it. And they create the entire conversation. It's a fake, but it looks so natural. And that's where we are now. It's, um, it's when people ask about difference between disinformation and misinformation. It's a, it's a problem. It's a misinformation because, again, it's not a simple lie. It's basically, you know, strong message that truth cannot be known. And, you know, you can go anywhere in this world, but you still have to be satisfied with half truths, quarter truths. And that's exactly the muddy water that makes dictator feels very comfortable. Jeez, it's really interesting hearing you talk about the tactics that are involved in this. And I think you hear things like disinformation, misinformation, fake news, the role that social media has played in troll factories, in manufacturing conversations that might be between bots or just made up people, which then start to to spiral. And you've seen the impact of all of this all around the world. I'm wondering how you qualify and distinguish between misinformation and disinformation. And then also in a world where it's hard to know what the truth is now, because all of this exists, where should people be looking to get their news from? The line between disinformation and misinformation, you know, it could be even semantic, you know, the line is too blurry. But I still would, you know, if we want to, 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 to understand the difference or to, if we insist on having the, having this difference, I would say that disinformation is more of just, it's, it's, it's a combination of lies. It's, it's an attempt to actually to push you in the wrong direction. It's, it's something that has, has a clear message. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a poison spearhead. Well, misinformation is, ah, it's just, you know, it's this, you can go here, you can go there. You can, mis- disinformation actually has an agenda, push you in, in certain direction. Misinformation is basically, oh, it's a kingdom of convex mirrors, you know, welcome. You can look at this one and this one. So, and I think misinformation is in our ordinary life, it's far more dangerous because it creates an illusion of choice. But when we are at war, as now, so that definitely disinformation becomes an element because it's a war. And it's here, you know, you have, sometimes you have very concrete targets to, to hit. Gary, you talked a little bit about social media there and the, and the rise of it. And then obviously how Russia and China are different. China has the, the Great Firewall. 
what does social media look like in Russia? Do, do they have access to all the platforms or, or is it state controlled? As of now, it's, it's very simple. I mean, it's the no more subtleties. All I said about you know, technologies that they embraced uh, in 2004, 2005, tricks, you know, troll factories. It's no longer, it's no longer scalpel. It's simple acts. You know, just, mm-hmm. just cut everything, you know, just this. Uh, and, um, and it's clear because it's a war and regime lost its flexibility. It doesn't care anymore about, you know, debating, even, even having fake debates. As of Putin's, Putin's social media in Russia, it's now, it's, it's, it's linear. It's back to Stalin's days. Mm-hmm. Very, very simple, very primitive. So Ukrainians are fascists. Putin is a white knight. Uh, Mother Russia is under attack. America is trying to destroy us. I mean, it's it's most primitive and and it's 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 clinical form of propaganda, which is amazing because you know you think that it's twenty first century. People have access to information. This mm-hmm. is not you know days of Hitler and Stalin, where you you had to hunt for information by trying your homemade radio just to, to, to hear the voices from abroad. You can verify that it's all lie. Uh, but somehow, you know, this is again, we're dealing with another interesting psychological effect. Even those in Russia who could easily find that nine o'clock news and all the talk shows, they lie. They prefer not to be convinced by the other side. Because the moment you understand that you are part of the country that has been committing genocide, that is carrying war crimes on an industrial scale, and you could look at images of Bucha or other places of Mariupol, you have to do something. So somehow, a lot of my compatriots prefer to say, we don't support a war, but war is tough. This is, by the way, it moves to the misinformation territory. Yes, but we know Putin is lying, but probably they're also lying. Those are the poisonous fruits of Putin's misinformation campaign. Because a lot of people say, yeah, we know Putin is, yeah, that's terrible. No, not impossible. But maybe they also exaggerate just, you know, to sell these the, the, this, this, this stories, horror stories, and to uh, change our mind. So everybody's lying. That's one of the greatest challenges. How do we find source of information that is reliable? And I'm afraid there's no clear answer. It's not, you know, it's not two plus two equals four. So you go there. Unfortunately, it depends very much on our ability to process data mm. and, and, and find, I wouldn't say common denominator. It's more like, you know, some sort of average, you know. So it's the, if you want to know more about American politics, I think you should have CNN and Fox two screens open. And then you just, and then to start balancing because... Yeah, you hear one story, you hear another story, but it's, it's very individual. I don't think it's bad because that's what we want. We want people to be, to feel free. So that's the whole idea of new technology, whether it's, uh, it's our device, you know, or, you know, or, or Bitcoin. So the idea is that as an individuals, we have more freedom to control our lives. And that means we have to be more responsible for digesting or vomiting uh, information that we receive. It's funny, you just gave the example of Fox News and CNN. I've done that a few times where there's been breaking news and I'd have both on just to see how they report on that and share that. And oftentimes the same story can be told in obviously a very different tone or, or be seen through a different lens. I can even say that because I do it all the time. You know, uh, yeah, some top stories. Yeah, of course, you know, that's just, you have stories you know, from the White House or some tragedies like the shooting in Texas. They have different opinions. But 
many stories, they are just, they come from different sources. Sometimes I have an, an, an impression that you have two TV channels talking about two different countries. By the way, they're not even lying. They simply pick up stories. Just, the, the, the selection of the stories could create absolutely different environment in your head. Mm-hmm. So, which is quite, quite amazing. Again, I'm not talking about, you know, just Tucker Carlson versus Rachel Meadow. I mean, this is, I'm right. just, you know, talking about news, simple selection of news could actually give you totally different impression about what's happening in the country, same country at the same time. Again, without any ideological cover-up. It's just, you know, it's, I want to emphasize this and you want to emphasize this. And somehow we think, are we still in the same country? <laughs> so that's pretty wild too, because at least as an outsider, you've heard that in Russia, anybody that was presenting a side of the war that was not in line with Putin has been sort of shut down and that it's become even more shut down, insular. Shut down is a very diplomatic phrase. It's, okay. It's, you, can, you can end up in, in, in prison for 15 years and we already have oh. few cases, criminal cases. Because for saying war, not special military operation, sp- saying war, you can actually get three years in prison now. If you're talking about, you know, Orwell or Kafka, welcome to Putin's Russia. In that environment and in the time in this cyber warfare that's taking place, what does this look like for somebody that's in Russia versus somebody that is in Ukraine? And how is that news different? You are talking to someone who left Russia 10 years ago, nearly 10 years ago, facing imminent arrest. So that's why I have to always, you know, make this adjustment. Though I follow this news closely, you know, we have all sorts of sources, you know, we, we try to analyze the data that we're receiving from Russia, but still, I'm not there. So, and that's the, and that's why, you know, I can make, educated guesses or psychological assessments. Mm-hmm. But it's very difficult to actually to get in the minds of people who, are, who live inside Russia. One thing is that, you know, I, I always, you know, tell people do not take polls that are being published in Russia seriously for a simple reason. People who live in totalitarian countries, they don't want to be frank with strangers. If you got a call from a stranger saying, oh, what do you think about a war in Ukraine? And how is Putin doing? I bet you nine out of 10, hang up. They just, they don't want to be involved. So that's just in this conversation. So in Russia today, I think it's just, it's the, it's, we went backward, it's decades. It's probably not even Brezhnev time. It's, it's, it's back to Stalin's days. Now you look at the Ukrainian side, again, I'm more comfortable giving an assessment because I talk regularly to Ukrainian news programs. I uh, follow them and uh, they definitely, they try to be far more objective because it's, it's a free country. Though it's, it's, oh, it's under siege now in, at war, but still you can hear very different voices. And naturally it's, it's a strong resentment to anything Russian. So mm-hmm. I, I understand if some of the Ukrainian pr- presenters on TV, they ask me to be questioned in, in Ukrainian, which I can handle. So, and I, I, I answer Russian, but I understand their, their unwillingness even to speak Russian. What we're seeing now in Ukraine is it might have very tragic consequences for my country because um, it's like Germany in 1945. It's not just, you know, Nazi regime, but it's, it's a whole country and the whole culture that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for at least for a time being could be denied access to, to the rest of the world. It's just, it's very difficult to make, to, to separate. So it's, this is Russian language and, uh, and, and, and uh, war and peace uh, uh, from Bucha, from uh, genocide, from deportations, from uh, deliberate uh, attacks on, on civilians. It's, we are now facing quite a moment for the future uh, of my country, Russia, and Ukraine and other former Soviet republics. Yeah. Because 
the crimes committed now by Putin's regime in Ukraine, they will not perish from public mind after Putin's regime collapses. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a stigma that is just, you know, it's, it's will, will, will stick to everyone with Russian citizenship, myself included. Though I think very few people, if any, could have, you know, just a longer and more aggressive record of, of opposing Putin's, Putin's regime. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, there's a collective guilt. And yeah. then there's individual way out. That's what I'm all saying, you know. Yeah, forget the war criminals. Putin, uh, Shoigu, his ministers, uh, and those who are giving orders, criminal orders, and committing crimes, crimes in Ukraine. But you still have 95% of people who are technically not in, involved in these crimes. And many of them say, oh, I'm against the war. That's not enough. If you want to have clear conscience, and if you want to look in the eyes of your children, and, if, and, and later on, if you want to be part of the civilized world, you have to do more than saying, I'm, 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 I'm against the war now. And that's why the group I'm working with, we came up with this declaration, very simple declaration, stating three things. War is criminal, regime is illegitimate, and Ukraine is a whole. You have to acknowledge territorial sovereignty and integrity of Ukraine. So those are the simple things we can do, what I said, that to separate ourselves from cannibals. We just mm-hmm. don't want to be part of that. It's a big, big, big challenge. I know it's it's... There's nothing to do with, with, with cyber topics we discuss now. But while talking about computers, I always remind people that we humans have monopoly for evil. Mm-hmm. And it's no matter how great technology is. At the end of the day, it's about who is operating it and what kind of goal that is being, being designed for this specific technology. So true. You talked about collective guilt there, Gary. Can you, can you explain exactly what that is or, or what are the ways around that coming out of this war? Yeah, look, you know, it's the, I mean, I know how many great Germans felt in the 30s. Yeah, they had to leave country. I mean, whether it was Thomas Mann, Marlin Dietrich, Albert Einstein, so the long list of great, great personalities. I, what I feel now is just maybe I have not worked hard enough to prevent it from happening. Did I have a chance? Not so much. But still, you know, you all, we all have to feel it. Because at the end of the day, we just have to, find a way out of this, you may call it dead end or, or as a swamp or it's abyss, but it's just, you have to bring country back. And for that, you need to recognize that it's more than Putin. That's what mm-hmm. we're dealing now in, in Ukraine is more than just, you know, one evil man. Yes, he's, it's, it's, it's a new Hitler. And by the way, now I'm, I'm quite happy to say that because 10 years ago, I was nearly kicked out at many occasions when I compared Putin to Hitler during the Sochi Olympics. And I remember just, well, actually one was a Canadian journalist. She literally walked, I mean, she wanted to walk away. She just made, because I compared 1936 Olympics to Sochi. And she was so angry at me, mm-hmm. saying, how could you compare Putin to Hitler? And I said, ma'am, Hitler 1936 was not Hitler from 1941, mm-hmm. not from Hitler from history books. And if you don't trust me, you can read Canadian papers, American papers, British papers, French papers. And the reason I'm telling you about this comparison, because I want us to work hard to make sure that Putin 2014 will not become Hitler 1941. But again, it did happen. And while, you know, we all look at Putin as this, as a reincarnation of absolute evil, it's not even, you know, just his entourage, he's in a circle. It's not just, you know, the KGB as a successor of Soviet communist crimes. I think it's, it's the entire Russian history based on the imperial expansion. 
what I say, it's, it's, it's time for us to remove imperial metrics from Russian code of statehood. Can we do it? I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 I'm not here to tell you that it's, it will happen when and, 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 and if Ukraine wins the war. But I think that's all only chance. And that's why, you know, it's very important now to use every resource we have to make sure Ukraine wins the war, because only full liberation of Ukraine offers chance to liberate Russia from Putin's fascism and to give us a chance to look at our history and find some new new algorithms, how to return to the sort of main avenue of civilization. Kerry, you just mentioned during the Sochi Olympics saying something that was probably ahead of its time, um, and it's been proven true in the, in the years that followed here now, but the whole conversation has shifted dramatically, especially in the last two to three months here. It takes a lot of courage to speak up on those things, and especially in, you know, in years past. And then nowadays, we're just talking about people in the news that I said shut down. You mentioned that's a very diplomatic way of saying it, not so much shut down, sent to jail or, or worse. I think it takes a lot of courage to speak on these matters because there's obviously a lot of counter pressure to subdue those voices. And you're obviously somebody that is very vocal on these matters. So what advice do you have to other people or perhaps even to other countries or to other people that want to get involved in changing the way that this is all playing out and that news is consumed and disinformation, misinformation, all of these things that we're talking about right now, it is a big thing to change these tides. I don't know how to do it. I don't know if you know how to do it, but do you have any advice as somebody that has shown a lot of courage to step forth and talk about these things? Again, it's very individual. So there's no universal advice. So we all get together and we, we, we can change things. It's uh, more the merrier. So that's just, yes, if we have more and more voices joining the campaign and pushing politicians to recognize the fact that only Ukrainian victory is, offers us uh, a chance for, for a better future. And if Ukraine, God forbid, loses the war or accept, uh, is forced to accept uh, Putin's territorial demands, we, we go back to the Dark Ages. That's this is everything that we achieved after World War II about territorial integrity, uh, uh, borders, international cooperation, security. It's all gone. We already had this problem after 2014. But now it's the most blatant form to destroy the world order we used to live in. Now, I, I've been doing it for, for years. And uh, yeah, I'm in relative safety in New York. Obviously, when I travel around the world, so that's, that's the risk is increased. I do what I believe is right. I remember, you know, the motto of Soviet dissidents, so do what you must and so be it. That's how I grew up. I also remember the poster uh, that my mother put on, on top of my bed when I was a teenager. If not you, who else? Hmm. So, uh, I think that I can do a lot by raising the awareness about this tragedy and also, you know, pushing people. It's just to telling them that it's, Ukraine is fighting for more than just restoring its territorial integrity. It's more than simply defending European security infrastructure. It's a front line of a global war between freedom and tyranny. And uh, that's why its outcome will be a decisive factor for the development of mankind, of our civilization for years, if not for decades to come. It's fascinating. And I know, Gary, you said that you left Russia about 10 years ago. At that time, what were you what were you seeing or feeling on the ground? That, or was there any catalyst that said, "Okay, it's time to time to get out of here"? And and how do you manage your own personal safety? You've been 
an outspoken critic about Putin for years, um, which obviously comes with a lot of risk. Leaving Russia was not my first choice. I, I left a country that I, I represented for, for decades. I was arguably one, if not the most uh, decorated athletes in Soviet Russian history. But actually, I had no choice uh, unless I was ready to, to be arrested. And, uh, and I spoke to my mother because I was actually I was traveling when we got this call, very friendly call from Russian analog of FBI, politely asking me to show up and to be a witness on some of the new cases they opened on political opposition. And as my late uh, friend and ally Boris Nemtsov, who was actually shot in Moscow in 2015, told me over the phone that you enter the building as a witness, and if if you leave the building, you will be the, you most likely will be the suspect. So I discussed with my mother, and we decided we'd rather. I mean, for her, it was really, really bad news. I mean, it's, it's devastating. But you know, she knew I would be far more useful being alive and free elsewhere in, in America, for instance, rather than being you know incarcerated in in in, in Russia. And as for my personal safety, look, people kept asking me, and my answer is, you know, would it help? So what's the point of wondering about it? If, if they decide to go after you, no one is safe on this planet. So I just do what I believe is right. And uh, yeah, I try to be cautious. Just, I don't visit some countries where I believe, you know, my safety could be in real jeopardy, countries where KGB feels very comfortable in operating. And... Um, Recently, you know, just after the beginning of war in Ukraine, at big events, I ask for some security just to to make sure that it's in the big crowd, so I, I'm not uh, accidentally accidentally uh, harassed or or attacked. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I walk in New York, you know, and in most other places. That's Gary Kasparov. Nothing has changed. Folks, we're just getting started with Gary. Stay tuned for part two because he's not holding back when it comes to hacking groups, the advantages of cryptocurrency and warfare, and what he predicts will happen between Russia and Ukraine. You can stay plugged in with Gary at Gary underscore Kasparov on social. For the latest in digital marketing in the world of tech, check out theinfluenceagency.com and follow us at Influence Agency. And thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>